Okay, let's get going in Acts. Uh, we're in week four, I think, of our Acts series. We're in uh, chapter three. We're actually going to look at chapter three, going all the way through chapter four. Last week, we got a, a look at what life was like for the very first church. Um, as we started the book of Acts, we saw on the, the day that the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit came, uh, Peter stood and he preached and filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people that day became believers, giving birth to the very first church. Last week, we looked at uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and we saw what life was like after Pentecost for the church. Church didn't have a building like we have a great building. Church didn't have a building for services, so they met in homes, and their homes were spread all around Jerusalem. They gathered in these homes together to learn from the apostles more about who Jesus was and what he had done. They gathered to be with fellow believers. They were devoted to one another as family. They broke bread together, sharing meals, celebrating Jesus. They prayed together in their homes. They shared what they had with one another, selling their possessions to provide for one another as there was need. Uh, they served one another, opening their homes and setting their table. Uh, they went together to the temple. They went together regularly to the temple for worship, singing, praying, reading the word of God. And Luke says of this first church, they were glad and generous people. These were ordinary days for them after Pentecost. The things that I've just Described. Those were their ordinary days. They were together. They were sharing meals. They were caring for one another. They went places together. They learned together. They, they prayed together. And in those ordinary days, as they were just doing those things together, as they did day after day, the world around them was watching. And they saw something different in these people, and they were drawn to it. God would use those ordinary days to draw their friends and their family and their co-workers, even strangers, to them. And there, drawn to them, those people would hear the good news of the gospel and they would believe, placing their faith and their trust in the work of Jesus. Luke says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning, we see that God would not only use the ordinary, but it was actually in the ordinary that he would do the extraordinary. And he would do the extraordinary to draw people to himself. Miracles and mission, that's what we're talking about this morning in chapter 3. Let's pray together and then look at Acts chapter 3 and into chapter 4. And I ask every week if you would pray with me. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be good this morning to teach us and pray that the Holy Spirit would be good to encourage us and to shape us into the people that God would like us to be. Would you pray that with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and gracious. I thank you again for these families who are here and for the beautiful children that you have blessed um, these families with. And those children and these families are a blessing to New City. And so I pray, Father, that we would, we would, we would do well in walking with them and being their family here. Uh, Father, help us to do that. We pray together, Holy Spirit, that you would be good. We know you are here because Jesus promised that you were here because the Word of God says that you are with us and you are in us until the day of our redemption. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us today, 
We pray that through the word of God and these beautiful stories from the first days of the church, we pray that you would not only teach us, but that you would encourage us. And encourage us today. Encourage us to be faithful in the ordinary. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start this morning with with this. It was an ordinary day, right? Just an ordinary day. That's what we are reading about. Let's begin reading in chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Let's stop right there for just a minute. And we talked about this last week. In Jerusalem, there were three services a day at the temple. And it was the ordinary practice of the Jewish people uh, to go to the temple for these services, to, to learn, to read scripture together. They sang songs together. They worshiped in the temple. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 46 last week, that the first church continued to go to the temple together. And so it was probably not just Peter and John who were going to the temple. There were probably a lot of other believers joining them with all of the Jewish people who were going, as was their ordinary custom, at 3 o'clock going to the temple. It was an ordinary day, right? I'm going to keep stressing that. It was an ordinary day. It was an ordinary day for for Peter and John. It was also an ordinary day at the temple gate called Beautiful. It was an ordinary day for a man who had been lame since birth. It, It was an ordinary day for him to go to the temple gate because he couldn't work to support himself. And there at the temple gate to beg from others alms, alms for the poor. This was an ordinary thing. He did it every day that he could. It was an ordinary day for the people who carried him to the temple. Because he couldn't walk, he was lame, he had to be carried to the temple and set down there at the gate. So even for them, it was an ordinary day. It was an ordinary day, just like every other day. The reason that I am stressing that is because, y'all, that's where we live. Not at the temple, but in the ordinary. We live in the ordinary every single day day for most of us. I I can tell you about my ordinary. Every day um, when I get up in the morning, I think it's too early to be getting up every day because I don't love the mornings. Every day, the first thing that I do when I get up is I have a cup of coffee because it takes two cups of coffees before I'm okay with the morning. That is ordinary. It doesn't matter if I'm at home. It doesn't matter if if I'm traveling. Every day, that that is the ordinary for me. As a, as a pastor, every day after I get up and get ready and we um, do the things around the house that we need to do, I, I, I come here to the church. I am here almost every day at or around 8.30 in the morning. That is an ordinary day to me. And I'm here for most of the day. I live in the ordinary. You live in the ordinary. You get up, you have your coffee, you go to work, you go to school, you do the things that you do. You take the kids to school, you pick them up from practice. Every day we live in the ordinary. That's what they were doing. They were living in the ordinary. But here, on this day, things dramatically changed, and the ordinary gives way to the extraordinary. Verse 3. 
When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to, who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We don't know what changed that day. It it was just an ordinary day. Again, at 3 o'clock, going to temple, just like Peter and John did all those other days. It, It was just another day, an ordinary day, when this man was being carried to the temple gate and set there so that he could beg. We don't know what changed that day because Luke doesn't doesn't tell us. I'm sure that Peter and John had passed that gate like a thousand times in all the years that they had gone to the temple. I am sure that this was absolutely not the first day that they had seen this man begging at that temple gate. I feel certain that they had probably, most likely, given him alms so that he could take care of himself. But today, today when he asked them, they offered more than the man imagined. Silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. When he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, for us, saying something in the name of Jesus or hearing the name of Jesus, probably for most of us, has little meaning. I I, I mean that we hear it all the time, and so it, it has lost some of its significance for them, right? These were the very first days after Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. And talking about the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth had great meaning. And here, when he says in the name of Jesus Christ, he is identifying himself as a believer in Jesus. He's saying, I am a follower of Jesus. He is publicly attributing to Jesus the miracle and the power of the healing that he is calling for and expecting to see. It wasn't Peter's authority. It wasn't John's authority. It wasn't their power. It was Jesus. Everything he was attributing to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus would heal. Peter reached down, and he helped the man to his feet. And I love this. I've never noticed it before that I recall. But the way this is written uh, indicates that the healing had not yet occurred. When he said that I give this to you, right, to, to stand, it's when he reaches down and he takes the man by the hand. And the man has a, has a decision at that point, to believe or not to believe. Do I believe in the power of Jesus? Do I believe in the authority that, that, that comes from him? Do I believe that he is able to heal? What would it be to believe or not to believe? He believed. And he reached up and and he took Peter's hand and and Peter said, stand. And as he stood, it was then, after he had made this, this decision to believe, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And now this man who had been lame for, for 40 years, for more than 40 years, 
according to Acts 4. This man who had been lame since birth, he could not only, it's not just that he could stand up, but, but he could stand up and he could walk and we see immediately that he is leaping and jumping and praising God. And a great crowd of people there in the temple, right? It would have been a big crowd of people. They see this man. They see him walking and and, and praising and jumping and leaping. And they recognize the man as the man who had been at the gate. The man who had been begging and had been lame, who had been carried to this gate day after day after day. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Now, Now watch what Peter does. Verse 11. While the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God, God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes the ordinary has completely healed him as you can all see. The ordinary gives way to the extraordinary. This was just another day. This was just another day, and it was just another day going to temple. It was just another day for this man to sit at the temple gate and beg. It was just an ordinary day. And then the ordinary gives way to the extraordinary. And what we see next is the extraordinary gives opportunity for the gospel. Peter, again, points the amazed people away from he and John, and he points them directly to Jesus. We see Peter do this in chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes, and they're all speaking in tongues, and everybody's amazed. All the people heard this rushing wind, and now they hear the loud noise of uh, 120 people speaking in tongues, and they gather around, and, and, and they don't point to themselves and say, look at how amazing this is. Peter stands up and he points them to Jesus and and, and he shows them from the scripture how Jesus is the promised one. He does that here as well. It is by faith in the name of Jesus, he says, that this man was healed. Jesus, whom whom God has glorified. Jesus, who who you guys, y'all handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, the holy and righteous one. You, You called for a murderer to be set free instead of him. You killed the author of life. The author of life. This is Jesus, the creator and sustainer, and you have killed him, but God raised him. God raised him, and it's this Jesus, he says, who is the true healer. He continues in verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and return to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that pointed for you, even Jesus from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah 
who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And we stop there again. Peter is here drilling into the gospel, the beautiful news of Jesus. And he's telling them that Jesus was and is the promised one. He is the fulfillment, Peter says, of all of the Old Testament prophets. And in ignorance, you killed him. In ignorance, not believing the prophets, not believing that he was who he said he was. In ignorance, you killed him. But God raised him up. Now he is ascended, and verse 21 says he is ascended to heaven where he must stay until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago through the prophets. Repent. Repent. Right? Well, Peter, Peter is saying, like, you, you, you need to repent. You need to turn from pursuing your own righteousness. You need to repent and believe this good news. You need to repent and turn to him. You need to believe that this is the fulfillment of Scripture. This is the fulfillment of all the prophets. The miracle was not the end. Gosh, so often that's where we stop. The miracle was not the end, not the end for Peter, not the end for, for John. I am sure for the guy who was healed, like he lived every day thinking about that day. But this was bigger than him. This, this was bigger than him being healed that day. This moment was not for, for Peter and John's glory. This was an opportunity, a, a God-given, incredible opportunity for Peter and John to be what Jesus called them to be, and that is his witnesses. It was an opportunity for them to share the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with their Jewish uh, family. Throughout the book of Acts, we see miracles and we see natural. We believe that God still is in the business of healing. And we, we pray for healing and genuinely believe that, that, that God can do those things. We believe in miracles. We believe in divine interventions. When you see these things in the book of Acts, it's, it's not just about divine intervention. It's not just about healings. When you, when you see these things as we go through the book of Acts, they are almost always connected to the mission of God. They are connected to the gospel. The people, in this case, who were there in the temple, and it would have been busy as all of the people had come for service. The people see what happens, and, and they are amazed. And so they come to see what has taken place, what this miracle is. And Peter and John use this opportunity to share the gospel with the people who have gathered, to call the people to believe in Jesus. God was in that moment more than just healing a man and showing how incredible he is. God was in that moment through Jesus redeeming sinners to himself. He was reconciling broken, fallen human beings to himself. The good news for them, the good news for us is that God, God has done for, for us and for them in Christ what we could never do for ourselves. And that's, that's what Peter has been telling them as he's been preaching to them. The Jewish people knew that, that there was a promised one. They knew that he would come and that he would forgive them of their sins and that God would make for himself a people, a kingdom. And they were, they were supposed to be looking for, for that one. Peter says, you missed it. 
In your ignorance, you missed it. This Jesus, he fulfills all of the promises of the prophets. He is the one. He is the one who forgives sins. And yes, he was even meant to suffer as he suffered, and he was meant to die. And on the third day, God raised him. Peter tells him that. And now, Peter says, he is in heaven until the final day of Peter is sharing the day that God restores all things as it is intended to be. Peter is sharing the the gospel with them telling them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This this is why the miracle. The miracle drew people. Yes, it was a beautiful thing for the man who was healed. But through this, God was drawing people to himself so they could hear the beautiful news of the gospel and believe in Jesus. And Peter, Peter keeps preaching, keeps preaching. Verse 22, he's trying to convince the people even more, even more of who Jesus is and what he's done. And as he's preaching, and what we see here is that the gospel always elicits a response. Always, always. Verse 22, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. And so he's going all the way back to Moses, and he's saying, Moses told you that Jesus was coming. Moses told you about this prophet that you should listen to, and if you don't listen to him, you will be cut off from his people. Indeed, verse 24, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, Peter is saying, that we are living in, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, Jewish people, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain, here they are, continuing to plead, continuing to point to the Old Testament, preaching, begging the people to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. We'll stop there again. The message of the gospel always elicits a response. Always. Right? Here's, here's the message of the gospel. We are all sinners, every one of us. Every one of us here, every one of us out there, every one of us, period. We are all sinners who have failed. We have failed to live the life that God created humanity to live. We have all sinned. We have done things in our life that we should not have done, and there are things that we should have done that we have failed to do. Those are sins, and we have all sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And here's the truth. Even if you aren't a believer in Jesus, you know there are things in your life that you have have not done well or done right. You know, every one of us, that there are things in our lives that we have done wrong. We are sinners. We are sinners. 
That sin separates us from God. And, and here's where the bad news that we're talking about now, you got to have bad news or good news doesn't mean anything, right? So the bad news is that, that, that we are sinners. It gets worse because that sin separates us from God. Unholy people can't spend forever more with a holy God. Worse, we can't fix ourselves. We can't undo the sin that we have committed and our- can't stop sinning. We have sinned. We can't undo that sin, and we can't stop sinning. I tried once. Trust me. I decided one day I'm just not going to sin anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to sin. I think that was a sin in itself, pride. (laughs) The truth is the only thing that we can do about our sin, we can't fix it, we can't undo it, the only thing that we can do about our sin is pay the price for our sin. That's it. All we can do is pay the price for our sin, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that death is eternal separation and condemnation from our great God. All we can do is pay the price. But God was not satisfied with that. God was not satisfied with eternal separation from his people and condemnation because of their sin. So he provided a way. Now we're getting to the good news, right? He provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, a way to make us righteous and give us the holiness that's needed for us to be in his presence forevermore. And that way is Jesus. Jesus would live the life of holiness that we have all failed to live and cannot live. Jesus would die the death that we deserve because of sin, though he knew no sin. He would suffer the wrath of God on the cross. He would be separated from the Father. He would die in our place. Jesus would be raised on the third day, defeating death and sin and Satan. He did that on our behalf. So when we trust in him, when we trust in that work, when we believe that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, that faith is, is what God works through, and he is, he is gracious. It is a gracious gift, not just to save us, but to make us holy. He covers our sin with the blood of Christ. He redeems us from sin. We are reconciled to the Father. When we trust, when we believe in the work of Jesus, God looks at us and he no longer sees us as sinners distant from him. He sees us as holy and pure, washed clean. The song that we sang earlier, washed white, washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to us as a gracious gift. It is given to us as if faith in Christ, by his work, through our faith, our our sin is abolished, and we are made children of God. And and what Peter is calling these these people in in the first century to, these Jews who were at the temple to worship God, what, what Peter is calling them to is the same thing that we are called to, and that is to repent of our self righteousness. Repent of trying to save yourself by keeping the rules and being good enough. Believe the good news of the gospel that God has provided for you all that you need in Christ, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That was Peter's sermon. We preach that gospel every week at New City. And every time the gospel is proclaimed, a response is elicited. To believe or not. To believe that this good news is true or not believe. 
the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, they made a decision. Their decision was disbelief. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was the promised one. They didn't believe that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scripture and all of the prophets. They, they didn't believe that he had been raised from the dead. In fact, they didn't believe that anyone could be raised from the dead. They heard the gospel and they responded. They responded in disbelief. So they moved quickly. They moved quickly to arrest Peter and John to keep others from hearing, to keep others from believing, to keep this movement from growing, to keep the message from getting out. They moved quickly and arrested them to keep the status quo. We are called to be his witnesses. The great commission that was given to them is our commission. It's our commission as well. And the same gospel that we share is the gospel that Peter shared. And that same gospel elicits a response in everyone who hears it. Believe or not. Their response, the response that the gospel got in their arrest, that's the, that's the response that we fear the most. Not being arrested, but being rejected. I think one of the greatest fears in, in, in us, think of me. Well, I will is that we will be rejected. What will they think of me? Will I look like a fool? Will they reject me? Ultimately, when someone doesn't receive the gospel and believe the gospel, it's not a rejection of you or me. It's a rejection of Jesus. It's a rejection of the, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And, and that rejection can come for a number of reasons. Some people don't believe that there's a God. Like, they just don't believe there's a God. So what we say in sharing the gospel makes no sense to them. It's not us they're rejecting. It just doesn't make sense to them. Some people don't believe that sin separates them from God. Like you just don't believe that, that God is, is, is the kind of God who would, um, he's too nice to punish sin. And so they don't believe that the sin in the, their lives, the things that they've done or haven't done, would ever separate them from, from such a kind, nice God who, who just wants everybody to be happy, and in the end, all roads lead to him. Some people believe that they can beat sin, right? And if we can beat sin, who needs Jesus? So the gospel makes no sense to them because in their mind, they've been good people. It's true they've sinned. But they can do enough good things in life to overcome the bad things in life. If that's you this morning, man, how do you know when you've done enough good things? Is it really enough? Trust Jesus. Some people don't believe the Bible. Some people worship other gods. So when, when they hear the gospel for, for any of these reasons and more, they don't believe some are offended by the gospel, some are angered by the gospel, some are threatened by the gospel. And for whichever of these reasons it was, Peter and John were arrested. The gospel message always elicits a response. And it is true, like our greatest fear is rejection. It is true that sometimes there will be rejection, rejection of the message of Christ, rejection of the good news of the gospel. That is true, but it's not always negative. The response is not always negative. Here we see disbelief, but look again at verse 2. Verse 2 says, They were greatly disturbed because of the apostles, 
uh, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But look at verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Some will hear the gospel and there will be disbelief, right? Rejection of the gospel. But hear me, some will hear the gospel and eternity be changed. Some will hear the gospel and they will believe the good news of Jesus, the good news that you proclaim. Luke says on that day, even though they were arrested and there were people who were angry at them, many believed, many believed. They saw the miraculous healing of the, of the lame beggar at, at the gate beautiful. They saw what happened. They saw him jumping and leaping and praising God. They ran to see Peter and John and hear the story of what had happened. They heard Peter on that day proclaim Jesus as the promised one. They heard the gospel message and many believed. What beautiful news. Many believed. Think back to these numbers. On the day of Pentecost, Luke said that the total number of believers was, was 3,000. But, 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 but let me back up from there, right? When Jesus left, there were about 120. About 120 of his followers who gathered that day in the upper room and prayed together, waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit came on that day, the day of Pentecost. They stood up speaking in tongues, Peter preached the gospel, and on that day, 3,000 became believers. Now Luke says here that the number of men, the number of men, the number of men alone had grown in the church to 5,000, meaning that the church itself was probably around 10,000 people. 10,000 people. We're only in chapter 3. And we don't know how long this took, but it doesn't seem from Luke's account that it took very long. The disciples, 120 of them, they, they, they gathered. They gathered, 120 of them, and they prayed the Holy Spirit comes. They grow to 3,000. The church begins gathering in homes. They're gathering in homes, and they're sharing meals together, learning and growing they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to one another. They're devoted to breaking bread. They go to the temple together and they worship together. They're remembering Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection. They're praying. The people around them are intrigued. 120 has gone to 3,000. And as they go about their everyday life together, people are intrigued. They come and hear the gospel. And Luke says that God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. People were seeing these changed lives, these now joyful and generous people, and they were hearing the gospel, being drawn to them, hearing the gospel. And hearing the gospel, they were believing and becoming a part of the family. The Lord was adding to their number daily. Now Peter and John, they are going about their everyday, ordinary life. This is what they did every day. It, just like I said about, about the, the 3,000 who were gathering in homes, this is just, just became their life. This was just ordinary to them. If, if we back up from there to when it was just 120 to the place where they had to go to a special retreat place, they went back to Jerusalem and back to the place where they had already been meeting, back to their ordinary meeting place, the upper room. And they prayed just like they had prayed all the days before. Ordinary. 
It was their ordinary daily life. It was their ordinary routine to gather together and to pray. And they gathered together and they prayed waiting on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came. The 3,000, they lived their lives ordinarily, spending the day together, learning together, going to temple together, supporting one another. It's just the way they lived their lives every day. And it was in that ordinary that God was working. And, and on that day, as Peter and John went, they went to temple as they had a thousand times. They walked through the gate. They had been through who knows how many times. They saw the same beggar that they had seen the last time they went through that gate. It was an ordinary day for them. But they didn't miss the opportunity. They didn't miss the opportunity for God to do something extraordinary on that ordinary day. God, that day, used the miraculous to sling wide the door for the gospel. This lame man miraculously healed. This, this crowd gathers to, to find out what happened. And Peter, Peter stands up and boldly shares the gospel with the people around him. Boldly shares the gospel, telling the Jews, you were the ones who killed Jesus. You were ignorant and you didn't see it, even though the scripture tells us all about it. All of the prophets told us about him. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel that the promised one has come. Believe this good news. Many believed. And the church swelled to, to 10,000 believers. Man, that excites me. Here's the thing. I think we see this pattern throughout the book of Acts. Most of the amazing things that happen, happen when God did something extraordinary in the ordinary. Like God didn't set out and say on Tuesday, we're going to have an extraordinary day. You guys be ready. It was everyday faithfulness that led to those extraordinary days. Again, the 120 just gathering as they always had. The, the 3,000 meeting in homes as they did every day. And when the opportunity came in their ordinary day, they faithfully proclaimed the gospel. They faithfully proclaimed the gospel. 120 and 3,000 believed. The, the, the 3,000 faithfully proclaimed the gospel as they went about their ordinary lives. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. On this day, the church swelled, and now we're at 10,000 people. Faithful people in the everyday, ordinary life. Faithful people in the ordinary, everyday life. That's what God chose to use to turn the world upside down. Faithful people living ordinary lives. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Does that excite you? It excites me because I'm an ordinary guy on a good day. On a good day, I'm just an ordinary guy. It excites me because most of my life is really ordinary. It excites me because God doesn't call me to be extraordinary. That means a lot to me. He just calls me to be faithful in the ordinary. It excites me because that's not just true about me. It's true about us, New City Church. God doesn't call us to be extraordinary. We don't have to be an extraordinary church. 
We just need to be a church that's faithful in the ordinary. Remember the Great Commission if you're a New City regular. I know you remember the Great Commission because we talk about it so often. The Great Commission isn't go and do amazing things. The Great Commission isn't go and be extraordinary. The Great Commission is as you go. As you go. As you go about your ordinary life. Do you hear me? Stay-at-home moms. Students. Dads. Doctors. Mechanics. Retired. As you go about your ordinary life, tell the people around you about Jesus. I think that's what this chapter is about. It's just ordinary people living their life and God intervening in extraordinary ways. As you go about your ordinary life, be his witnesses, ready for an opportunity, looking for an opportunity to talk to people about him. Let's be that church. We don't have to do the latest and the greatest and be the best. Let's just be the most ordinary. The most ordinary, faithful people that we can possibly be. And who knows? Maybe we'll have opportunity to see God do the extraordinary. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that this isn't about me. I'm thankful that I don't have to be extraordinary. You are extraordinary. Holy Spirit, help us remember. Help us remember that you, you have called us to the ordinary as we go. Help us remember that that's the place you've called us to be faithful in the ordinary. Forgive us for anything else, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.